Hey, good morning, church family. How are you guys doing today? It's fired up. That was a good time of worship. Hey, Sid, man, I feel your pain. You got beautiful daughters. You got to invest in some protection. The boys are going to be all over the... My daughter was up here on stage, too, singing on the worship team this morning. So she's a beauty. So hands off, guys. Like, you can appreciate her, but she is single till 35. So anyway, but what a blessing to have kids that are being brought up in the Lord and that have a heart for God. And my, my daughter wants to go to Bible college. I'm so blessed. I can't even believe what's going on, but super good. Well, I want to finish up this morning our series. We've been, we've been working for the past couple of weeks. The series called Enlarge Your World. Remember the verse we're talking about, Proverbs 11, 24? The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the generous gets larger and larger. And uh, we've been talking about money. And uh, the first week we talked about tithing, which is always the most awkward sermon to talk about as a pastor. But when you really understand what tithing is all about, it's, it shouldn't be awkward. It's actually pretty exciting. It's something that God gave us where we actually get to put him to the test to see if he really is who he says he is. And when you do and when you can actually get to the point of surrendering 10% to God, really? And God shows up and he blows your mind and he goes, see, I knew you could do it because, look, I got you. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to pour out so much blessing in your life that you'll have leftovers. Remember we talked about that? You have so much leftover that you got to be a blessing to the world, which brought us into last week about generosity, that we are supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ that look like him. And when he said, I came to this world to serve and not to be served. I'm the son of God in human form, but I didn't come so that I could build a hype and everybody could see how amazing I am. He says, I came to give you an example to serve other people, to love other people, to bless this world. And so part of our responsibility is that we would manage our resources, our talents, our money, our gifts, our abilities, all the stuff that we have in such a way that we would have enough left over to bless other people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a proper, healthy relationship with money. And it's just going to be a big, broad kind of subject, but I'm going to give you a couple solid principles that we should take into our lives. And when you go to that financial seminar, and I hope you do in two weeks, man, there's experts in the field that are going to give you all the little details and the nuts and bolts and the hints and the help and all of that to really put it into play. But I believe that the word for today is God speaking to us. Overall, here's how to have a healthy relationship with our money. And if you look at the notes right there, I just titled it, Hi Money, Let's Be Friends. Because I believe a proper understanding with money is we actually have a friendship with money. Um, that word brings me to the thought of uh, something that some of us have come to understand as the friend zone. Have you ever been placed in the friend zone by someone? Anybody? Come on. You could admit it. Come on. Come on. Hold those hands up. None of you guys. Have you ever had to put someone in the friend zone? You're like, oh, bummer. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys are like, yeah. Some of you are like, what? No, I have friends. What are you talking about? Here's a, here's a friend zone. The concept of the friend zone is when you got a couple people and they have a relationship, but somebody in that relationship would like to take it to beyond friends, to be more than friends, and the other person would rather just say that one phrase that none of us want to hear, let's just be friends. You know what happened right there? You got put in the friend zone. It's not going any further. We're not getting romantic. We're not getting physical. We're just going to be friends, right? Now you guys are like, oh, yeah, I know that phrase now. How many of you guys can relate now that I've explained it a little bit, huh? Yeah, right. The rest of you guys are like, nope, no friends. I'm grumpy. Come to church just for the music, whatever. 
a friend zone is what we're talking about today. And there was a girl that um, I had a relationship with. I wasn't dating her. I had been dating, who was currently my wife, Kanani, but at the time we were dating for a year or two. We broke up. I was just out of high school, and I was friends with a bunch of other people, and there was this girl in that I met through church, and um, we became friends. And as the relationship progressed, she wanted to be more than friends, right? I mean, because honestly, why not? I mean, <laughs> just kidding. No, <laughs> But she wanted to be more than friends, but that wasn't what was best for my life and my decision. I just wasn't feeling it. We were good friends, and I knew that that wasn't the one. God had a plan for me who the one was, and I eventually married her. But at the time, it wouldn't be healthy, and it wasn't right for me to be more than friends with her. And I didn't discover this. I'm kind of slow on the take sometimes, and, you know, like, oh, so-and-so likes you. I'm like, they do? No, they don't. You know, I don't catch it right away. But I caught it when she basically invited me. Well, let me see. She somehow... She got me to invite her to her senior prom. I don't know how that worked, but somehow I took her to her senior prom. I wasn't even in high school. I just graduated. But we went to her senior prom, and for her school, she goes, hey, because I'm taking you and bringing you or whatever, I'm going to pick out the, the clothes to wear, and I'm going to take care of the pictures and all that. I was like, all right, whatever, free dinner. So um, she picked out the clothes, and basically what she had me dressed in was a complete white tuxedo all the way down to the white shoes, patent leather shoes, white belt, the whole deal. She shows up in a full white ruffly gown and everything. I'm like, wait, this looks like a wedding. <laughs> What's going on here? You know, and we, we show up, and I'm like, wait a minute. And she would just talk and make hints that, like, maybe she wanted to be more than friends, right? And uh, we get to the, the prom, and it's like she bought the big picture package, the one with, where you get, like, 18 poses or whatever, you know, like the big one. And every pose was trying to be like the one like this, you know, or the like holding in the front or the things like that. And I'm, everyone I do was like, no, 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 that's, and so here's how our, our prom picture turned out. I was like this, with my foot up, I said, and she's like just standing there next to me. You know, it's kind of like the Captain Morgan thing or whatever. Anyway, you guys shouldn't know about that. But eventually I had to just basically kind of have the talk and kind of decide in my heart, like, let's just be friends, you know? And she took it rough. I mean, why not? Um, but it was just a friendship. And here's the deal, though. My natural inclination was actually not to take it further than the friend zone or to stay in the friend zone. My natural inclination was to turn and run and just ignore her. And then if I saw her at church, say hi, and that's about it. But what I realized is that in just staying in that friend zone, there's actually a really valuable relationship that brought value to my life. There was encouragement. We went to Bible study together. It was like, good. It was just, it's not going further than friendship, but I'm also not going to run away from you and ignore you. There's value to be had. And if I would have run away from that, I would have missed out on, on a proper, healthy friendship with this person. Now, a lot of times in our lives, the healthiest, best relationship we can have with people is just to keep them right in that middle zone. Here's what I believe. The Bible, time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, is kind of comparing that type of a relationship to our money, is that we can go to extremes, and we're going to talk about this today. Here's the, the, the basic premise of today's message. We can go to extremes where we fall in love with money, and we love it too much. It's not good for us. But we can also go to the other extreme where it's like, oh, we don't really care about it. We ignore it, and we don't really manage it well. It's just enough to get by. And as long as we're covered, then that's good enough. I believe that there's a middle ground that Scripture calls us to walk today, and that's what we're going to talk about. That's a healthy friendship with money. So a little object lesson real quick just to start the message today. Would you guys do me the favor? Please just humor me. I know it's churchy. You don't like to do active things and participation. But would you do me the favor and the, the, the 
whatever, be patient with me. Would you take out your wallet or would you take out your purse, ladies? Or would you, if you don't carry a wallet or purse and you just got cash or change or whatever you got, any form, checkbook, something, would you take something that basically represents your money, your wealth, your fortune, whatever the income that you make, would you take something like that out? Here's my wallet. Take it out right now. Come on, just humor me. You guys are like, this is dumb. I'm not doing that. But that's why you failed high school. You got to get involved. Anyway, take it out, part, class participation right now. And here's what I want you to do, because I believe there's power in words. The Bible says that. There's power and there's life-giving ability in the tongue, but we can also speak death over things. And we pro, when we proclaim things, it, it sets something right in our spirit, and we just it's an act of, like, decision. So here's what we're going to do. We're gonna, you're going to repeat after me. We're going to look at our wallet right in the eye, right in the zipper, right in the fold, whatever, the purse. I want you to repeat after me. You guys ready? Look at it intently from the bottom of your heart. Say, I don't love you, but I won't ignore you. Let's just be friends. Okay, now put this away because you look kind of ridiculous talking to your wallet right now. And that's the sermon for the, for the day. Okay, there's, there's two big things I want to talk about. The first one is this, that we can proclaim in our hearts and make a decision in our mind that we are not going to love money. Because here's what the Word of God says. Let's get right into the Word here. First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And then the author of Hebrews in chapter 13 verse 5 also says, Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Now, this phrase, love of money or love money, is a Greek word, and basically in English, it translates to our word for avarice. And the word avarice means this, extreme greed or materialism, a craving and a desire to, to possess and find fulfillment in money or possessions. Now, we're just not talking about like, oh, it's good that I made some money. It's the fact that we take it too far and we, we take it beyond just being friends with money and we start to crave it and we start to desire and we start to, to think that the only contentment and fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in life is going to come when we can provide enough for ourselves and money equals happiness. And the reality is the whole message of Christianity in the Bible is that God has to be number one above everything else in our lives. So it's not money, it's not relationships, it's not our status, it's not anything else that we have, is that God has to be number one in our lives. Because the problem is when we have love for money and we crave money and we think, I got to control my life and I got to trust in money. The problem is we're actually finding more hope and trust and faith in the gift than in the giver. And we got to realize that everything that we have comes from God. And that if we walk our lives with that perspective, then everything starts to unfold in the right way, and we're blessed, and we don't stress out, and we can have freedom, but we get it wrong sometimes because we put money above everything else. So I don't love you money. We say that to our money. Then we're told to like money, but we're told to love God and to honor him. You know, there's too many times we get caught up with our, our fashion and our clothes and our jewelry and our cars and our houses and everything. If I just had enough money to buy this, then I'd be happy. And if I had this like those other guys have, then they would see me as valuable and they would see me as worthy. The problem is all of that stuff, money and material possessions, doesn't really determine our value. We think it does, 
But God is the one that says, no, I determine your value. No, I created you. No, I've got gifts in your life. No, I think highly of you. I've got uses for who you are, and I'm going to do incredible things and don't need to rely on that other stuff. And so this first thing we're talking about as we we look into this sermon today is realizing and being able to stand up to the money and the, and the lure of wealth and just say, no, I, I don't love you. I'm not going to take this relationship too far. When I was a, a youth pastor first starting out, I, I was living in Huntington Beach, California, like years and years ago. Just came out of Bible college. My wife was in her final year of Bible college. She was working part-time up at the school. Um, I was working down in Newport Beach, uh, washing and detailing cars and RVs. Like, that was my job. And it was funny because we were living down by the beach and everything's expensive down there. But we knew that we were barely getting by and surviving. But when I think back to those times, the funny thing is I'm thinking, man, I made so much less back then. We ate ramen noodles like every night and rice and, you know, basic Vienna sausage and things like that. And we couldn't afford to go out to eat and all this stuff. And I think back and I go, wow, those, if I think back, those are hard times. And I realize, wait, those weren't hard times. All of my memories of back in those stages in my life when money should have been a really big issue because I wasn't making much of it, I don't have any memories of that. Because we were so fired up on God, and we were newly married, and we were called to be youth pastors of this little youth group in this church that was growing, and we had such a love for uh, the things that God had called us to, all of these kids. It's like money wasn't even on the brain. And I think, man, all these years later, more money, more problems, right? All these years later, now that I have all of this money, well, actually, I'm kind of in the same state. I got a mortgage and three kids, so kind of the same deal. Ramen noodles again for dinner still yet. But the reality is when we focus on the things of God and we trust in his provision and the miracles that he provides in the people in our life and relationships, then money doesn't become such an issue anymore, and we don't need to love our money. So first thing we learn, look, I, I don't love you, money. Second thing is, but I'm not going to ignore you. Remember what I said about that girl in the beginning is I could have just ran away and just bare minimum, just ignored her and rejected like, oh, you want to be more than friends? Well, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'll see you at church. I'll tell you hi, and that's the bare minimum. But see, I don't think God wants us to take that position either. I don't think he wants us all to sell everything that we have and become monks and just, like, hide away from the rest of the world. I believe that there's a healthy relationship we should have, so we don't ignore money. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12, we read this actually last week when Paul is encouraging people to take up an offering and to give money to support the church in Jerusalem. One of the things he says is, give according to what you have, not what you don't have. In other words, don't just give everything away. Think money is meaningless and I just, I shouldn't, like, the lure of money, it's, it's evil. Remember what the verse actually says. Money is not evil. It's that love of money that, that gets out of whack. So we can use money. He goes, don't give what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean that you should give everything to make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. Is recognize the value that money actually has and just use it wisely. Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. I preached on this like maybe a month ago. It's a parable of the talents. You guys remember the master gave three of his servants uh, certain amounts of money. And he goes, I'm leaving for a while. Put this money to use. I want you to return a profit. The one guy had five. Um, the master came back. The guy had doubled his money. And he goes, hey, awesome job. Good job using the money correctly. One guy had two, doubled the money. Good job. The other servant, if you remember, he had one talent, and all he did was bury it. He didn't put it to work. He basically just ignored it like, it's there, bare minimum. I gave it back to you. What happened? It says the master actually scolded that guy, disciplined him, and said, you didn't use it the best you could. And the whole, the, the whole kind of the idea behind that is God has entrusted us with money, 
but he's entrusted us with relationships. He's entrusted us with the abilities, the skills, the education, all that we have. And he goes, I want you to use that for the best of your ability to not only bless you, but to be a blessing to the world around you. And so we're not called to completely ignore money, but realize that there's value to be had if we would just invest it well. It's a tool that we can use to bring provision to our life and our family, but also, going back to last week's sermon, to be generous and show the love of Jesus in this world around us, to be used for good purposes. So we got that concept down. We don't love money. We don't reject money. But let's talk about right in the middle how we can use money in a healthy relationship. It's so important. Here's the thing. Why are you talking so much about money? Here's a weird thing is the Bible talks so much about money, about investing, and about how we use our possessions. Did you know that over 2,000, they actually um, speculate about 2,300 verses in the Bible talk about the subject of money and our possessions and good stewardship money. 2,300 verses in the Bible. It says there's five times as many on that subject as on prayer and on faith. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables talk about the subject of money, possessions, and how we manage our resources. There's 10 times as many scriptures on money and possessions than there are salvation and faith. Now, here's what I think is a healthy view of money, and it starts with uh, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, verse 11. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, here's what he's basically saying here is, I'm content with whatever amount of money I have. I'm happy with it. It's great. But what I need to understand is all of what I have, my money, my gifts, my talents, my education, my experience, my career, my whatever I have, is under submission to Jesus Christ, who really brings me the strength in my life. So a healthy view of money is that we wouldn't worry about it so much, that we would use it and use it wisely, but we wouldn't let it be something that we're always freaking out and striving and in love with, but also something that we have negative feelings against, like, I just ignore it. But we would be content because Jesus has got control of my life. Amen? Jesus sits on the throne of my life, and I just use my money. So I want to I read to you guys a quote from... John Wesley. He was an 18th century Anglican minister. A lot of you guys know that. He was a theologian. He wrote a bunch of material on on Jesus. He founded the Methodist Church. So he's a guy that had a lot of sermons and teachings and and writings about money and about how we use wealth. And he makes this one quote that I want to talk about today. To me, is just such a healthy perspective on money. He says this one phrase, and it says, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Has anybody ever heard that one before? It's quoted around a lot of places, not so much in Kaneohe, it appears like. But John Wesley, gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. And it's a biblical concept. And it's a healthy view of money. And we're going to talk about those three things. Let's talk about the first one, gain all you can. What does that mean? Does that mean we should be focused on money and we should try to work as many hours as we can? No. Here's what it really means. There's a couple verses that back this up. In Colossians 3.23, the Apostle Paul writes, work willingly at whatever you do. In other words, work hard. Make a profit. Be productive. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears 
but wealth from hard work grows over time. Now, here's a, a concept that's taught throughout the Bible is that if you work hard, God will reward you. He'll partner with you, and he'll bring about a blessing. Is that we as Christians are supposed to be an example and a model to the world around us. We're not supposed to be lazy bums. We're supposed to be productive. And God says, if you work hard, then, then you're going to present uh, productivity, but I'm going to partner with you and reward you for serving me well, for using what you got to your best, the best of your ability, and you'll be a, a blessing to the world around you. So gain all that you can. It means that we, we, we work hard. We do something. We get busy. See, I think a lot of our problem is sometimes we complain and we go, I don't have enough money. Where's my resources? I had to tithe. And God's going, you sit at home on the couch all day watching Netflix. Why don't you go out there and actually get a job and work for your money? See, what, what John Wesley's trying to say is that we as Christians should be productive members of society. We should be modeling what it is to be a Christian. We should be working hard because God's going to partner with us and reward us. So get busy and develop a good work ethic. I sat down with um, one of my bosses. I had quit a job. I was working at a health food store in um, high school for about a year, just on the weekends, working at a health food store called Huckleberry Farms down at Nuuanu and School Street. Does anybody remember that store? It's not there anymore by Hungry Lion back in the day. I was working there down there every Saturday, and I worked there for a year. And, you know, my job is, like, to refill the bins of carob peanuts and, you know, weird stuff like that and, like, all this yogurt and just all health food stuff. And this was before Whole Foods and all of that, so smaller store. But after the end, when I quit, um, my boss actually walked over to my house one day. He lived on my street, and uh, he sat me down on my lawn. He goes, hey, can I talk to you? I was like, yeah, this is weird. I don't work for you anymore. You know what's going on? And he goes, I just wanted to share a little bit about um, the job. I was like, okay. He goes, hey, I thought you did a really good job. You know, you worked for me for a year, and you did all the stuff that I asked you to do. I was like, yeah, awesome, great, thanks. You know, and then he goes, but I just want to let you know, just for, like, future in life, you, you kind of only did the bare minimum. I was like, what? I was getting, like, a little offended. Like, you know my boss. Don't tell me what to do, right? He goes, you, you kind of just did the bare minimum. He goes, I know you got more in you, more effort and energy. And he goes, you notice you never got a raise? I was like, yeah, yeah, hey, what? And he goes, you know, to get a raise, you got to work hard. You got you to gotta go above and beyond. You got to develop a good work ethic. Carl, I know it's in you, but this is going to benefit you. I'm just giving you a life lesson right now for all the rest of the jobs that you're going to have in life. And he's a Christian guy too. He goes, you know, God's going to bless you if you work hard. So I was a little bit bummed, you know, when someone tells you something you don't want to hear. You know, I was just like, whatever, I don't work for you. You know, go back to your like health food, whatever, tofu, hot dogs, you know. Go enjoy that. I don't need to work there. So I was bummed. But you know what happens sometimes when you get bummed? It's the Holy Spirit actually convicting you, and it's a good kind of bum because you're like, ouch, that hits too close to home. And I thought about that in all of the, the later jobs that I had and even now in life. And then I put it together with what the Bible is actually saying is, is don't be a lazy bum because you're only going to ever get the bare minimum if you only put out the bare minimum. You want to be blessed? You want to be promoted in life? You want God to be on your side to bless you? Then work hard for your money. So first thing it's saying is, with our money, who are we supposed to think about it? Well, gain all that you can. Work hard for your money. Don't go overboard. You turn into a workaholic, but work hard. It's going to produce um, a, a good return. And then the second thing he says is to save all you can. What does this mean? It says, don't waste money. Unnecessary spending oftentimes is what makes us poor. Think about this. It isn't always the amount that you make. It's the amount that you spend. If we really sat down and we looked at budget and how we spend a lot of times, we'd understand that it isn't really the income that's coming in. There's enough to provide for needs. It's just that we buy stupid stuff. Can I get an amen to that? 
we buy stupid stuff. Just turn to someone right now and go, hey, you buy stupid stuff sometimes. I know you, I know you do. And then someone will tell you that as well. Because the truth is, here's a little life lesson for you guys. You're taking notes. Before you go into Costco, make a shopping list. Because Costco has everything that you want but don't need, right? Sometimes you need it, but you're just like, wow, right? Another word of advice, don't go into Costco hungry. Because the free samples will get you. And when you're hungry and something, a sample tastes so good, you walk out of there with like 18 boxes of crab shumai. Wow, this is awesome. Two gallons of prune juice, right? And you have 48 tube socks. What? I thought I needed them when I was there, and now why do I have this? But you go, and we do all this impulse buying. You guys hearing me on this? QVC, Home Shopping Network, right? Someone came over. I went to someone's house, and they go, hey, look at this cool thing I just bought. Like, what is it? It's called the Miracle Fold. The Miracle Fold? What do you do? Oh, it's this plastic item you put down. You put it on a shirt. It helps you fold a shirt, and now you have a perfectly folded shirt. 20 bucks. I was like, really? And I bought two of them. I was like, really? You bought two? Okay, here's the deal. If you have problems folding a shirt, you should not be doing laundry. You have to buy a $20 object to help you fold a shirt. And at the end of the laundry, you're like, oh, I just shaved valuable seconds off my laundry time. Wow, right? But we buy these dumb things. Come on. Some of you guys are like, oh, I bought that. I have that. Here's what John Wesley is saying. Would you save your money? Would you be a little bit smarter? Would you invest smarter? Here's a rule that I always live by. If I want to buy something, I pray about it first. It's just a simple rule of thumb. It has saved me from all kind of ridiculous things, right? It's like, I don't really need those Star Wars boxers, but they're so cool, you know? Like, just, that's for my kids, you know? But there's, there's times when you just pray first and say, God, I want to be good with my money. I want to save because if I save, then I have more money to spend on important things and to bless other people. So save all you can. Here's this verse. It's a heavy verse. Luke 16. Our Lord, our Savior, our hero, Jesus, he says this. Luke 16, if, 11. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Oh, that's heavy. God's going, you know what? You can't even handle managing that. How am I going to bless you with all of these other things that I want to bless you with? You can't even manage that well. Whoa. See, save all you can. Invest wisely. Let me, let me show you guys some statistics right now on how us as Americans actually spend our money and we don't save wisely and but some of the debt that we're in. Take a look at this really quick. Statistics I got off Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University, 2011. A few years old, but these are the ones I found. The average American has over $38,000 in consumer debt. Wow. 62% of Americans will retire with less than $10,000 in income per year. Can you live off of a full year and $10,000? Think of that when you retire. Average debt for 21-year-old, $12,000. For 28-year-old, $78,000. Average student loan debt at graduation, $22,000. This is a few years old. It actually might be worse now. Uh, According to a survey in 2010, 55% of all Americans are now living paycheck to paycheck. 50%, half of us, have less than one month of emergency savings 28% of us have less than two weeks emergency savings. You lose your job tomorrow. What are you going to live off of after the next two weeks or month? That's some scary statistics. People spend 12 to 18% more when using credit cards. Wow. You can save, this is a good one, $112,000 over a lifetime by bringing your lunch to work in a brown paper bag. Just that alone, PB and jelly, PB and J, right? Peanut butter and jelly can save your life right there. That's amazing. Roughly 66% of those surveyed don't expect to have enough money to retire at age 65. 
that's scary, but that's not some other country. That's us. We're talking about saving and managing, being friends with your money enough that it matters, that you care, that you would invest it wisely because it affects your life. But let me give you some, some encouraging statistics about saving money and what that could do for your life. Look at this next slide. Example of investing. If you save $5 a day and you, you're investing it at a 12% rate of return, which is maybe high, but it just gives you a, a frame of reference. Over time, if you just do $5 a day, what is that, $150 a month? Five years, you'll have $12,000. 30 years, $524,000. 50 years, if you're young now, you start now, you'll have over $5 million by the time that 50 years from now when you retire. If a 30-year-old makes 48000 a year, saves $600 of that a month in a 401k at 12% return, by 70 years old, you'll have $7 million. Now, how many of you in here would say, I would love to have $7 million when I retire? Come on, you would love that. I would love that. So what that's saying is that there is hope if we actually get a hold of the message the Bible is trying to tell us is we've been doing poor spending, but it's never too late to start and to fix that and to say, I'm not just going to think that, well, money, I make enough, I survive. But if I am wise and smart about it, it's going to pay off in my future. It's going to pay off for my kids when they go to college. It's going to pay off for my medical expenses, for me living out in the future. And here's the bonus, the greatest thing about this and why Jesus wants us to invest our money well is the last thing that John Wesley said was, give all you can that we as Christians are supposed to be a blessing to this world. We're not just supposed to sit around and say, I have Jesus, you don't, too bad. We're supposed to say, I have Jesus, he's so good, I got to give Jesus to you. And how do we give Jesus to other people? It starts with our actions, not just our mouth, right? We got to walk the talk. And one of the things is, if I've got enough money because I've been working hard, saving hard, managing my money good enough so that there's leftovers, now, I have money to go share the love of Jesus with, and I get to go fund someone's mission trip. I get to go invest in homeless needs in the community because I have enough left over to be Jesus to people, not just talk about it. I have enough left over that I can, I can support someone in a startup business or someone in, that I know is hurting and finances came up on them and they got hospital bills. I have money and the means to bless them and to be generous enough to sow into someone else's life and to bless the world around me and actually... Do what Christians are called to do. Are you guys hearing me? Our goal is that we would be able to give to people. Luke, uh, sorry, no, Proverbs 21, verse 26 says, Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. Now, here's what I think about that verse is, more than loving to give, I want to be someone that is able to give. Because there's a lot of people that, you know, a need comes, comes up and they're like, oh, my so-and-so passed away on the mainland. I, I just got to get tickets real quick to, to get home and I don't know what I can do. Can somebody help? Because I've heard of this in our church before. Uh, connect groups all pitching in and helping send people to like uh, emergencies in the mainland and do all things like that. Here's what I know is I don't want to be the kind of person that's godly that says, I would love to help you. But because I'm not good with my own money, I can barely handle this. I, I can't. I can't do anything. I'll pray for you. That's cool. You get someone else that comes up with a need in life or you see an, uh, an opportunity, Compassion International sponsors some kids. That's so awesome, 38 bucks a month. I would love to, but I don't have the finances to do that. See, the Bible in Proverbs is saying, but godly love to give. It's more than we would love to think about that and pray about that. We actually want to be able to give, and that's what happens when we manage our money well. Am I getting through to you guys here today? Is this making you think a little bit? The Bible is telling us the thing with money is so important. One of my friends came to me this week, and he goes, hey, your message on generosity last week, 
was good, man. I, I got inspired. I had this gift card someone gave me, $20 of free food, some restaurant or something. $20 of free food. And you know what? I saw a guy. He's homeless. He was in need. I gave it to him. I felt so generous, patted myself on the back, felt all good. I was going to tweet it. I'm awesome. I gave to someone. You know, he was all fired up about it. And then he sees someone else in our church, which is um, our, our young couples, uh, overseers, pastors, whatever, uh, Tim and Holly Veeling. And now this is interesting. Both of them have full-time jobs, but God's been putting something on their heart to be really generous, to be real, and to meet the needs. And Holly just quit her full-time job to, between her and Tim. He still works. But they're starting a nonprofit, basically, that is meeting the needs of people that are hurting out there and meeting needs in the community and in the world, but also trying to be a bridge spiritually for those that are out there in the world to see the goodness of Christians so that they could be a bridge to plug them into local churches. So they're meeting spiritual needs and they're meeting physical needs. And, and Holly's just going, I'm giving up my full-time job to go hardcore at this. Suddenly my friend with a $20 gift card that was given free to him that he just re-gifted to a homeless guy, he's going, I am not going to tweet anything about that when I compare myself to her. Now here's the thing. Sometimes we can think that, oh, it's about comparison. It's not about comparison. It's not about amount. It's about the ability to give whatever you have, whatever you can. And so I still applaud my friend that gave the $20 gift card. Why? Because he worked hard in his, in his life and in his job enough and saved and manages his money well enough that he's able to look at $20 worth of free food and cheerfully give it away to someone else because he's managing his money well. Does that make sense? Because if he wasn't managing money well, he'd be like, I'm not giving this away because I need this for my family. But when you're in a position to be able to be blessed and to take care of your own world and finances to the point that you're going, I can have leftovers, then we start to look a little bit more like Jesus and we start to be a light to this world in our actions and not just in our words. Amen? And so this thing about money Guys, it is so important. God talks about it in his word so many more times than he talks about a bunch of other stuff. But here's the challenge, and I want to leave you with this this week. What is one thing that you could do this week to improve a healthier friendship with your money? To some of you, it might be this. You're too fired up on money and getting more of it that you work all these hours and you're neglecting the things that God says is a real priority in your life, like your family and your friends and your health and your rest. For some of you, what you need to do this week to get things in perspective is to cut back on a few hours at work and go, God's going to take care of me. I'm going to work normal hours, and I'm going to spend those other hours loving on my kids and on my wife and the people around me and taking a Sabbath and getting rest and spending time with God. Maybe that's a challenge for you. Maybe some of you, you are the lazy couch potato watching Netflix all day long, and you need to get out there and get a job, get productive. Maybe that's something you need to do in relation to 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 doing something with your money in a, in a practical new way. Maybe some of you, it's like open a savings account. It's never too late to start. Invest in your retirement program. Maybe it's something I did a, a while back. Cut the cable bill. We turned off all of the cable, and all we have is like Netflix now, right? So the kids and everybody has to watch that $7.99 a month or whatever that costs, down from like 40 or however much money. What is it that you could do to start saying, man, money's important. I don't want to have avarice and greed and, and craving for money. I don't want it to be my God. I want God to be my God. But on the other hand, I'm not going to reject it and be careless with it. I want to I manage it well because I want to have enough that I can bless the world around me. So as we're looking at our wallets again, the next time you open it up, you go to buy something today, remember this. I don't love you, but I won't ignore you. Let's just be friends. Is that a good word this morning?
Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we, we come before you right now and we thank you that your word even talks about money. And sometimes we forget that we think it's all about spiritual stuff, but really how we spend our money and use our talents and our time and relationships, it's all spiritual because your Holy Spirit is in it. It's in everything. He's, he's there with us and you want us to, to return a good profit for you. You want us to learn how to have a healthy relationship with our income and our wealth and all that you've given us in life. But I pray that this would have stirred up some thinking in our, in our minds today and in our hearts, Lord, to be a little bit more aware and to use wisely and to, to spend wisely and to save wisely, Lord, what it is that you've given us. Lord, we want to be a blessing to the world around us. We have friends and family that are in need at times, Lord, and we don't want to be the person that just sits there and we can't meet those needs. We want to be people in life that are able to respond and to bless and to love on other people. Because, Lord, you do promise that when we give and when we're generous, that you will increase our world. It's funny, society doesn't see it that way. When we, when we give, they think we're losing. But, Lord, in your kingdom, you say when we give, we actually gain. So, Lord, we want to actually put that into action as a church and, and that we would be generous people and that we'd be people that are wise with what it is that you've given us. And I want to say another prayer right now for anybody in the room here today that you've never even taken that first step towards Jesus, that you're not really in a relationship with, with God in a real way where you actually know it and you're living it and you're experiencing his goodness in your life. But maybe you came today and you would like to be. Maybe you're saying to yourself, man, this sounds good. I didn't even know God cared about money like this. It seems like this is a good church. They're, they're talking about this God that would love me and he wants the best for my life. And, and maybe you know that God's been kind of calling you to him recently. And you know that your life could be better and you're tired of the mess you're in and you could use all the help you can get. Let me tell you this. There's a very real Savior named Jesus Christ that came to give his life on a cross to buy you back into a relationship with this God that created you and that loves you and wants to give you an incredible life and an eternity with him in heaven. And if you would like to take a step towards him today and just say, I, I want to be a Christian. I do want to know what this is all about. And I'm going to take a step of faith to say yes to God and to allow him to, to make changes in my life. Then I want you to pray a prayer with me. I would get the privilege of leading you in a simple prayer. And this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to pray the words out loud. I won't make you pray it out loud in front of all these people. That could be a little scary. But I know that scripture says this, that God says, I know your heart and I see your heart and I judge you on your heart because sometimes our words and our talk is cheap. And so it's got to start in the heart before it can flow out of our mouth and, and in our actions. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer and I'm going to pray it out loud and you pray it in your heart of hearts to God. After service, you can go and tell people that you prayed it. You'd own up to it and you'd let God know that you're proud of the decision you made. But for right now, we're about to pray a prayer and it's going to be straight directly to God. You getting your life right and allowing him to do what he needs to do that you would know as you walk out of this room today that you're a Christian, that God's on your side, that he believes in you and he's going to begin making changes in your life. So if that's what you want to do right now, I'm going to count to three. Real simple. Everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed. And when I count to three, I'm going to ask you, if you want to pray this with me, you would just raise your hand and hold it up until I see it because I want to know who I have the privilege of praying with this morning. And then I'll lead you in that prayer. And then we'll get on with the rest of the service. But God will begin to change your life starting here and starting right now. So on the count of three, if that's you, would you just lift your hands? One, two, three. Is there anybody here today? Come on, hold them up high. I see one over here. I see two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm looking around. Anybody else? Saw eight people in the house today. At least eight. 
Thank you, Lord, for those hands. Nine, someone else right there. Didn't see you at first. So about nine people. And go ahead and put your hands down. If I didn't acknowledge you, don't worry about it. God saw you for sure. He's so stoked that you're making this decision. But I want you to pray this with me. I'm going to pray out loud. You just make my words the cry of your heart to God right now. Here we go. God, I'm here before you right now in this church. Lord, I'm just acknowledging that I need you. I want you. I'm tired of managing my life, my finances, my relationships, my job, everything. I'm tired of doing it alone. I need your help. God, I believe that you did send Jesus Christ to die on that cross for me, for my separation from you. Lord, if I believe in that, that he died on the cross to pay the price, but then he rose again on the third day to prove that he was God. He had power over death, sin, shame, guilt, all of the baggage that I carry in my life. If I give that to him, he put it all to death on the cross for me. So, Lord, I'm telling you right now that I believe that that happened. I receive the free gift of salvation and a new relationship with you. The Bible says I'm a new creation. Lord, I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit because I need all the help I can get. Lord, I promise to be water baptized, to, to begin reading my Bible. Lord, to go to church. Lord, everything that you have for me, I want it because I need it. Lord, I'm at a place in life where I'm saying yes to all that you have for me. So, Lord, I pray right now as I say yes to you that you're forgiving my sins. You're you're pleased with the decision I'm taking. You're not here to judge me. You're here to help me and to fix my life. Lord, from this moment on, I live for you. Thank you for being my God. And in Jesus' name, the church says amen. Amen. Can we praise God for those people that pray that? Yes. Amen. Best thing we do every week, right, Paul? Best thing we do in the service every week.